Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. Today we are discussing Prince of Cats by Ronald Wimberly. Man, oh, Amir, yeah. I love this series we're doing where we're reading graphic novels we haven't read before because this was amazing. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> it Tell me why. So Prince of Cats combined three things that I really love. And some of them I'd like to know more. Of course, comic books. I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to comics. I love it. It's amazing. It brings me so much joy. Shakespeare, which you may not know, but I used to do a little bit of theater in high school. I mean, I don't think I was a theater person, although nothing wrong with that. Um, but I did. A, I actually was in two Shakespeare plays. I was in Much Ado About Nothing and um, Twelfth Night. And then uh -huh. I've read multiple other ones too. I mean, you know, Macbeth is my, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't really, this is not a Shakespeare podcast. So I love Shakespeare. I didn't know too much about Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I mean, other than the fact of everything else that everybody else knows. I saw the, you know, original movie. I read the play. I've, you know, seen the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. So I knew a little bit about it. And then hip hop, which is something that I'd like to know more, but I just, I'm, I've been getting into hip hop, especially in nineties hip hop or when I was a kid and thinking about that kind of stuff, but also just reading that essay by uh, John Jennings, who I've met at uh, African-American comic expo in San Francisco a couple of times. Oh, interesting. Great guy, great cartoonist, great comics educator. And I loved his essay about you know, sampling and, and not sampling, but the hip hop culture and how this comic to me, for me personally, Amir, it really is, was a culmination of like that sampling and coming out with something that's totally new that I've never read before, like, like it. And so it was great. I loved it. Uh, I thought it was great. I love, love Wimberly's artwork. He currently does a magazine newspaper format comic called lab l-a-a-b that does like puts a lot of different artists actually i think his moniker or ad is like you know sci-fi into black culture or something like that I, mean, I don't know exactly but he's amazing and uh the language is amazing they use some of shakespeare's language he came up with some of the other stuff and i'm gonna stop there <laughs> i think you said it so well amir uh, I did some theater in high school too, but I never did any Shakespeare. I read plenty of Shakespeare over the years, right? Like you, especially the tragedies. Um, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet at least twice. And I love how, oh my God, this book is a culmination of so many different threads, right? Mm -hmm. One is like, yeah, especially the exploration of the history of hip hop is so interesting, right? There's that I think eight part series on Netflix about the history of hip hop that I thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the hip hop family tree, of course, which is a you know brilliant couple of graphic novels. There's also, so combining those two together is already two of the things that just kind of sparked such a deep interest in me. And then to bring in this completely unique art style that feels very appropriate to the work, very kind of, loose but intense very uh, kind of smartly delivered really adds to it and then above and beyond all that the way his characters talk mainly in the iambic pentameter which echoes yeah. shakespeare but doesn't directly quote shakespeare makes us feel like such a smart 
update of everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then he brings in other things too. He brings in so much stuff from, the, you know, uh, the what I would imagine is the kind of normal Brooklyn experience circa 1986. You know, guys are going to clubs, they're dealing with subways, uh, they're, they're uh, going to Coney Island. Yeah. They're also getting in these really kind of beautifully drawn fights. And this whole thing comes together in this incredibly unique way. You're right. I mean, like I can't incredibly unique is redundant, I realize. But there's there's um really nothing I can compare King of Cats to. Yeah, and there's also like the just a little bit expand on the hip hop culture, like the idea of tagging and, and like you know, graffiti. There's that in there. Um there's a the sampling too, like just from a spiritual sense, it's hip hop because I don't know if you noticed, but one of the characters had a Akira jacket on with the pill in the back. There's a sampling of samurai stories, which a lot of the um, a lot of famous samurai movies or Japanese movies, maybe it's not samurai. A lot of them were based on Shakespeare, like uh, the Akira Kurosawa film. Isn't that based on Macbeth? So just kind of yeah. There's everything. at least two. Throne of Blood is based on Macbeth. Ron is yeah. based on King it, on King Lear. I think he has a couple yeah. of others as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, I didn't even know about those. It's really good. And then also, um, also there is some Shakespeare language too. He does quote once in a while, but it's not obvious. Like you know, like and sometimes if it was obvious, you'd be like, oh, highlights. Oh, you know, oh, where art thou? You know that kind of stuff. It's not like all over the place. And the cool thing about it is like, it's not even. You know, it's not even Drew Romeo and Juliet, so you don't even like, you don't even bother with those two. I mean, you do see them. Obviously, Romeo and Juliet have a big part in the comic, but it's about Tybalt. That gives it a whole different feel, also. You know, there, there's been a lot of great literature done with the side characters from Shakespeare plays, and this really ranks among them. I mean, we see Tybalt in all his complexity, all his beauty. Uh, both positive and negative. Um, there's this great speech about Tybalt as the king of cats. What'd you make of him as our lead character? I mean, I don't know, honestly, I don't know too much about Tybalt from Romeo and Juliet. I do know that he was kind of hot-headed. So I, I do remember that aspect of it and the fighting part. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was a wonderful character. It was a really well-rounded character. There was some humanity to him. And of course, at the end, you know, we've always, I don't know if we should, should we summarize Romeo and Juliet? I think everybody knows, but. <laughs> I think we all think, read it at some point in school, yeah. But I think the funny thing is we've always known that when Romeo kills, I mean, I hope, yeah, spoiler, to both get killed by Romeo. <laughs> for, for a play written 500 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't know, you're not going to know it. Um, but like. In the, originally in the play, Romeo doesn't want to fight him because, you know, he, their family, you know, that kind of thing. And then you kind of kind of side with Romeo. That, well, you know, Romeo is, you know, he didn't want to kill him. He had to, you know, his passion or whatever. But in this book, you realize that the reason that Tybalt dies is because he didn't. I, I just love that whole, that ending was amazing. I don't know. That part was, you, you it goes through his head how you're going to kill Romeo, and he doesn't. He lets Romeo kill him. Right, right. And, and it ends in such a smartly delivered way. We're going to talk about the ending of this book, too. So 
And then the love thing too, or like in the original play, there's like the passing thing because people, I never, I don't remember this. I probably never realized it, but Romeo was in love with Rosalind first. That's right. Yeah. And in the original, you know, in the play, he actually went to the party to hook up with Rosalind. I mean, in the original play, not even in this book. And then he saw Juliet and, you know, fell in love with her. Here, Rosalind is Tybalt's girlfriend, and Romeo originally wants to hook up with her, but she resists him. And then it's just a great, 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 great book. <laughs> yeah, we, we barely touched on the amazing storytelling and art style he presents here, too. Like in the last couple of pages during that battle, uh, we get the a gorgeous two-page spread of uh, Romeo and Tybalt confronting each other outside a church. And the picture of the church spans across two oversized pages. This is an odd-sized book. It's quite large. Mm -hmm. And you get such a sense of proportion and power from these people. The way he, way Wimberley draws people too they are multi-dimensional they have weight they have energy to them they have really distinct body types and so when you see these characters in battle it does this amazing thing where it channels this mix of a hip-hop style maybe a frank miller style and also a kind of an anime influence style mm -hmm. to deliver something that's just very wimberly i guess mm -hmm. That there's really nothing else like it. Like um, we we're talking about the beautiful language of the book, but like those last four pages with the confrontation, he does a beautiful job of telling the story in a silent way, focusing on the thematic centers of the book too, the amulet that that's very important as part of the storyline, and um, you know the cut-ins of of faces, and the story is just told beautifully well. So no matter whether you get no matter what you read it for, the story just pulls you along constantly. Mm -hmm. The other thing, uh, let, oh, I should stop there. No, it was amazing. I did have a question about the ending. Okay. I was, I was a little bit confused about how Romeo kills him. Maybe I, I wasn't sure because does Romeo kill him with his own sword? Or does he kill him with a different knife that he has hidden? Yeah, I'm trying to read that now. That's a good question. I think it looks like he grabs, I think there's a coloring mistake there where the hand is colored. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but. As Tybalt grabs the knife out of Romeo's back. And then we see Romeo kind of twist and then stab Tybalt. I think it was with his sword. He didn't, he didn't, yeah, anyway. Yeah, because he had already, in the previous page, he had had his right hand cut off. No, 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 no. What happens is, oh, maybe this is what I understand from the previous page. Previous page is in Tybalt's head. Oh, the blue the panels down. in Tybalt's head, yeah. He imagines this is how I'm going to kill him. Yes. But then he sees the amulet or whatever the love thing, and then he grabs Romeo's sword, so he can't grab it. But then Romeo grabs his sword and kills him with his own sword. 
I like the symmetry of having them grab each other's swords. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that give it more power that in some ways what made one strong made the other weak? Yeah. And well, there's also symmetry between what what is and what is imagined or in, you know, the blue is the imagination of of Tybalt and then the right the, the red color Sorry about that. Uh, the red color is the what actually happens. Yeah, I like that. I think that's how we're supposed to read it. I think you're right about that. And then we did. We also did mention the really clever aspect of this. Well, there's so much, right? One of the most clever aspects is the idea that uh, much as you might have a ranking of top hip hop performers in Brooklyn, all the swordsmen are ranked against each other. And oh. That's like this clever recurring idea you know, the dual list. And Romeo is always at, on the top of the dual list. His brother Benvolio is number two. It's just uh, this kind of extra element that makes the sword, sword fighting kind of very symbolic in their culture too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually didn't know about that. So is that, is that a thing in hip hop in Brooklyn where like people are ranked? Well, I like, wonder if they are. I don't know. I, I'm kind of making a guess maybe it's more like boxing uh, yeah i think of it as more like yeah a sport type like uh like a rankings for like a tennis player even like you think about that but yeah boxing or tennis or fighters or whatever yeah i don't think anyone actually ranked djs or something unless it's in their private mm -hmm. ways yeah i love the uh, packaging for this book too it's actually outside of uh i know i don't know is that okay i'm just going all over the place about it but i really enjoy the packaging i actually own the original book that came out from vertigo oh and at some point this was very rare because i don't know it was low print run and i got lucky and i got it and um it just was not this book was not treated properly by vertigo and I, and I think I'm glad that um, Image, when, Romerly, when Ron Wimberly got the rights back to the book, I'm glad he was able to actually like, you know, get, uh, you know, do it the right way. You know, I really liked it. So it looked like the original publication was like half size? It was half size. It's a smaller than a comic size. And it was bare bones, nothing else. His bio was in the back, but that was it. It was bare bones, trade paperback. Half sized, yeah. They did a few graphic novels like that. They did one called Shooters that was about the Iraq War. Um, they did another called Gone to America, uh, art by Colleen Duran that's about the immigrant experience from Ireland in America. Yeah. And all those books just died. I think they just didn't, I think Vertigo was like, oh, I'll pick this up. If, and then um, yeah, we'll half-ass it and just have them. Because I remember Gone to America was it was it with McCullough? Does it? I forget. Yeah, my friend Derek McCullough. Derek McCullough and who then lives in Oakland. And then oh yeah, I, I've met him because he's from the Bay Area. That's right. Yeah. And then um, Steve Lieber too um, was on uh, the was he was it Lieber with the with the other book that you mentioned? Yeah, I think he is Lieber who illustrated Shooters and it was written by, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he lives in. Uh, he's uh, friends with Greg Rucka. Yeah, you. his wife owns a great comic shop down there. Troutman. Eric Troutman. Yeah, thank I, you. I don't know how to remember. But anyways, like, Ron Wimberly, I am a big fan of it. So 
uh, I do. Can I talk about how I found out about him? Please, I want to know more about him because this is the first thing I've read by him. So I found before I found out about Prince of Cats, I he did two pages on a Charles Soule She-Hulk series, twelve issue series. Okay, and I believe it was with. The, the regular artist might have been Javier Polito or... Uh, yeah, that was Polito. Uh, and so, um, so he did two issues and I was collecting that book. And I when his, when his issues came out, I was all like, oh, this isn't Polito. I don't really love this issue. But I just couldn't stop going back to it. I just kept on wanting huh. to read it and looking at the art because he colored it himself. It looked like, and his drawing was just, it was all like, the proportions, I would recommend you at least checking out the digital, maybe getting the issues if you can. Cause it's like the proportions where there's a lot of foreshortening and like kind of like Kirby-esque type of thing. But then it's it's in Wimberly style. It was really great. I love, it was amazing. And I kept on going back to it. So I wanted to get more of his stuff. So I went and uh, tried to find him. I found that he did a few issues with um, of Swamp Thing, of, he actually did two swamping issues. I believe Joshua Dissert's run. So I bought those two issues, and then he also did another trade paperback of a Ray Bradbury story. Uh, and so I ended up just becoming a big fan of his. And then I found out about Prince of Cats, which was like, oh my god, like um, Shakespeare. And I bought it. And it was so expensive, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I finally found it in a place for a regular price. And I never read it because I got the thing. I don't want to ruin it until the trade came and the hardcover came out. And then I just never got around to it. But I was just so glad that we got to read it because I loved it. I remember reading Wimberly and the She-Hulk issues because I was a big fan of that run. Mm -hmm. I love the Polito art. And I remember being annoyed by his artwork in there, actually. Because it was just so different. It was so out of context. Polito's art was already weird. All the characters were off brand. You know, it was like its own weird corner of the Marvel Universe. But Wimberly's art was strange, like with, with odd foreshortening and, you know, character designs that looked strange, looked just odd. Yeah. And I remember like not being into it. As I look at it now, I think he did She-Hulk 5 and 6. And like, now that I look at it, I really get it a lot more what he was going for. Because it's got what you think of as a, a hip-hop design, I guess. Yeah. And it's pretty powerful. So out of aside from this, what else do you really recommend by him? I think those are the ones that come to me. Oh, well, what I recommend now, he's got this magazine called Lab, all a L-A-A-B. Mm -hmm. I think it's like Lab 2, Lab 4, which he did a Kickstarter for. I think you can get those books at like independent comic book stores or a lot of so you can buy it. it's lab and it's kind of like an anthology of like he's been doing some co comics in it but he got paul pope to do like a page and some other artists as well so i'd highly recommend his newest work i just found it on wowcool.com so go ahead i'm gonna order those for sure looks amazing yeah, it's worth it yeah they're great uh so back to this book we've talked about a lot of the things that we loved about it do you want to talk about uh, the characters? Like what, what you thought of the characters in it? Um, well, one other thing I want to say, the iambic pentameter was very, very 
apparent. There's a lot of, but that was there. And I also, a lot of uh, double entendre, just like Shakespeare, which is, he, he was known for like, talk, you know, talking about sex multiple times, you know, they always, it was just kind of interesting that all the Shakespeare tropes were in here too. Oh my God, that whole sequence on pages 33 and 34 about Medusa, that's just so horny. Jacqueline, uh, you know. Yeah, with the ice cream thing, it's crazy. Oh yeah. And was, this is such a great book, right? They have this great kind of really like totally, not even double entendre, pretty explicitly uh, yeah. horny scene with the ice cream. And then you see the Mr. Softy truck where they, where they get the ice cream. The ice cream comes back a little later in the story. Like he does yeah. a great little callback to it. Yeah. And that, that's another thing too that Wimberly does is that there, he's got all these callbacks from from uh, scenes at the beginning to scenes at the end or characters kind of referencing each other. Like these are really kind of three-dimensional characters who have these complicated lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they fight, they have sex, they have relationships, they have families too, mm-hmm. right? The book begins with a funeral. So, yeah. you know, all this fighting isn't just fun and games, but, you know, it's affecting the families that are related to these people. Mm-hmm. And then at the center of it is Timbal. And he's called Prince of Cats, not because he has some sort of magical ability, but because he's just cat-like. He's, he cares about himself. He uh, uses others, but he loves others in his own way. And I, I think he's a great lead character because he's so kind of elusive. There's so much complexity to him. Mm-hmm. I like the soliloquy about, about him. Should I read it? Yeah, yeah. Please. More than Prince of Cats, I can tell you. Oh, he is the courageous captain of compliments. He fights as you sling prick song, keeps time, distance, and proportion. Rest me his Miriam rest, one, two, and the third in your bosom. The very butcher of a silk button, a duelist, a duelist, a gentleman of the very first house, of the first and second cause, ah, the immortal Makuri, the Nagashi Dome, the high. It's like, it's just beautiful like it it feels Shakespearean right Mm -hmm. and there's all these kind of primary and secondary illusions in it which is true to Shakespeare's approach to it uh like this book is just so alive Mm -hmm. it's a great package beautiful book I love the sketchbook in the back of the book too if you want original art and designs and stuff they're all there no, I mean, there's a, quite a bit there. I, I eat that stuff up. And it's such an affordable book, too. It's like 25 bucks. Yeah, $25. Just, yeah. I got the paperback for 18 It's less than that on Amazon, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, I wanted, one more thing I wanted to talk about was the coloring. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's great. Do you want to talk yeah. about why you uh, thought it was ahead. great? Go ahead, yeah. Well, so he's not using a standard palette. Instead, he's using a lot of kind of earth tones to, well, not even earth tones. He's using colors to really convey the story. And he uses the colors to really emphasize the scenes as they happen. Mm -hmm. Like the nighttime scene that Coney Island is flush in blues and purples and deep reds. So it's got this kind of almost wistful feeling of twilight Mm -hmm. setting up behind people. But before that, when the characters are flirting at Coney Island. The color's more like almost anime color. 
bright pinks, um, some grays with contrast, you know, the, the tongue licking the, the rocket ship um, mm -hmm. is almost like a sultry color. Mm -hmm. He just does so much beautiful stuff with the coloring throughout the book mm -hmm. that is subtle, but it really emphasizes what these characters are experiencing. Mm -hmm. it, 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 the palette illuminates their lives. I love the, I mean, the purples and the blues and the yellows and you, and I like the costume party colors too, where like Romeo is dressed up as Joker and like Rosalind is Wonder Woman. And I think Tybalt is a uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Wonder Woman is a throwback to a dirty joke from earlier in the book too. Yeah. So there's even that little touch of it. Yeah. There's also the, um, <laughs> I see Mobius is a, uh, uh, character on there too. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, it's all stuff you can just totally geek out about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to summarize your thoughts on Prince of Cats? Uh, highly recommended. I think if you don't know about Romeo and Juliet, I would just maybe freshen up on it, read up on Romeo and Juliet before reading that. That's my recommendation. And I, I love the fact that, you know, it's it's outside of Romeo and Juliet. It's not a, I mean, you could read it without Romeo and Juliet, but I think you could get so much more out of it if you have an appreciation for Shakespeare and the characters. And um, and if you know the background, it really does help. I think that's the only thing I would recommend. Outside of that, that I think the art was, I mean, I'm already a big fan of Ron Wimbley's art. Um, and I'm a big fan of Shakespeare. I'm a big fan of hip hop. So it's helps but i think more people should read this this should be a book in like schools i told you my story about this book when i picked it up we were doing some sort of event in the fremont neighborhood mm -hmm. and there's a cool comic sh shop down there and i picked this up that day when i was waiting for people to come through on the run and the shopkeeper said to me oh prince of cats that's an amazing book and, you know, every time someone tells you that, especially at a comic shop or a bookstore or a record store, it's usually a good sign, right? And I was just amazed by how good this work is. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm shocked people aren't talking about this in the canon of great comics literature. Mm -hmm. This should be stuff that people talk about, like they talk about, you know, the best, best Paul Pope or Chris Ware or, or mm -hmm. um, Dan Klaus, because it's got this kind of a tourist approach, right? It's, it's Wimberly's individual work, but it also builds on everything else that he's been thinking about comes before. And he creates something that's very special because he's not, uh, he's, he's building on stuff that came before, but he's not dependent on it. You could not read Romeo and Juliet and still get a lot out of this book. You could just know about hip hop culture and get a lot out of it. Or you can just be some guy in a completely different part of the world and just be exposed to many different ideas through this book. And I just think in the end, it's great comic storytelling and great comics in general mm -hmm. that tells a, a story in a compelling way. Oh, I just think it's so special. Yeah, it's a special book. And and it was a quick read too, meaning that like 
there's dialogue and there's a lot of things you, you can't just like, you know, half-ass reading it, but it, it, it flows really nicely. Yeah, it's a I really agree. Fun one. I think aside from just a little bit of a confusion towards the end of the book about how Romeo killed him, I think there might be a coloring issue there with the hand. There was a, I think there was a coloring mistake. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I just, uh, but overall it was a uh, great. Well, you have a different edition than I do. Yeah, I have the hardcover edition. It's got like a picture of a cassette on the back. Is that what that is? Oh, is that what, oh, I, I was, that's not, you don't have this? No, it's just a picture of the, oh, let me oh turn off my camera. Just a picture of the characters. Oh yeah, no, mine is a cassette tape. Um, yeah, and I don't have the, yeah, it's different. Yeah, that's cool. I like that edition. I might have to pick that up. Thank you, Amir. This is Thank really you. fun. Thanks, Jason. Uh -huh.